Let us hear now God's word in the first epistle of Peter and the first chapter. (coughs) The first epistle of Peter and the first chapter. (coughs) Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the strangers scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through sanctification of the Spirit, unto obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ, grace unto you and peace be multiplied. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled, and that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Wherein ye greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, ye are in heaviness through manifold temptations, that the trial of your faith, being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory the appearing of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen ye love, in whom, though now ye see him not yet believing, ye rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls. Of which salvation the prophets have inquired and searched diligently, who prophesied of the grace that should come unto you, searching what, or what manner of time, the Spirit of Christ which was in them did signify, when it testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glory that should follow. (coughs) Unto whom it was revealed that not unto themselves, but unto us they did minister the things which are now reported unto you, by them that have preached the gospel unto you with the Holy Ghost sent down from heaven, which things the angels desire to look into. Wherefore, gird up the lines of your mind, be sober, and hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to to the former lusts and your ignorance, but as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation, because it is written, Be ye holy, for I am holy. And if you call on the Father, who without respect of persons judgeth according to every man's work, pass the time of your sojourning here in fear, for as much as ye know that ye were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot, who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you, who by him do believe in God, that raised him up from the dead and gave him glory, that your faith and hope might be in God. Seeing ye have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit 
unto unfeigned love of the brethren. See that ye love one another with a pure heart, fervently. Being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. For all flesh is as grass, and all the glory of man is the flower of grass. Grass withereth, and the flower thereof falleth away, but the word of the Lord endureth forever. And this is the word which by the gospel is preached unto you. Amen. The Lord bless the reading of his word. The preaching of God's word is here in First Peter in chapter 1 and verses 5 through 7. Who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Wherein ye greatly rejoice, though now for a season if need be, ye are in heaviness through manifold temptations, that the trial of your faith be much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. <coughs> the Apostle Peter Speak to us, speaks to us here of the Christian being one who is on a journey. You see, in the very first verse of the chapter, he addresses us in our identity as strangers, to the strangers scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. And what he's saying to us is that the true Christian is one who doesn't belong in this present world. He's not at home here. He's out of sync with this world. He's not conformed uh, to the traditions received from the fathers. That is, from the way of life and from the worldly outlook that has been passed down from ancestors. But rather, breaking loose from all of this, we are strangers. We have been gathered by Christ and we are called to another destiny. Not to perish with this world, but to be brought to salvation. And you see, it's a journey to come on to the reception of salvation in all its fullness. Uh, The Bible says that the Christian has been saved. And the Bible says that the Christian is being saved. And the Bible says that the Christian will be saved. And that's just because salvation is received in a process Justification is received right at the beginning by faith. Justification will never be more complete and entire than it is when we are justified by faith at the beginning of our Christian life. We receive the new birth at the beginning of our Christian experience. But there are dimensions of, of, of growth and development in the Christian. Our growth in holiness and in likeness to Christ. The strengthening, the maturing, the ripening of our faith is something that is gradual. And then there's the whole dimension that we receive first at death, and then even beyond that at the resurrection. When the believer dies, his soul is freed from all the remaining elements of sin. But his body still lies in corruption in the grave. But at the resurrection, his body is raised up and reunited to his soul, and he has this 
glorious body that is indwelt by the Spirit in a measure and a glory and a fullness that goes beyond anything that we've experienced in this life so that the resurrection is an even greater joy and perfection than anything we have experienced at the present time. Not different altogether in kind, but but different in degree. Well, you see, in verse 5 of our text, the Apostle speaks of our being kept, meanwhile, as we're on this journey, who are kept by the power of God, through faith, unto salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. That's talking about the resurrection. You see in verse 4, we have been... Uh, verse 3, we've been begotten again, that's our new birth, to receive, verse 4, an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you. That's at the end of our journey, you see. That's what we're headed towards. That's what we're aimed at. That's what God is bringing us to. And meanwhile, we're kept by the power of God through faith unto the salvation or as he um, uh, puts it uh, over and over again in, uh, in, uh, in, in the chapters in, uh, in verse uh, 9, receiving the end, the goal, the, 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 the uh, fulfillment of your faith, the salvation of your souls. That's what we're uh, uh, looking for. And so uh, there is uh, uh, verse 13, the hoping to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So the Christian, the true Christian, is on this journey. Of course, everyone is on a journey, on a journey to a destiny. But the Christian's journey is to the reception of this glorious inheritance at the last time. Now, in the words of our text, we want to particularly look at what is said about faith. There's a great deal said about faith in this chapter. And indeed, a primary thrust of this whole letter of Peter is to encourage believers who are in times of testing, in times of affliction, under persecution, finding the going difficult, and their faith is being tested. Their faith is, is being pressed. And they, are, they feel the stress in their lives. And this is not something unusual. He tells us that we're uh, not to think it strange when we pass through these fiery afflictions. But this is uh, uh, a basic aspect of being a Christian that our faith is going to be tested. Well, first of all, let's notice in verse 5 that the true Christian will continue in faith, who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation. Now he's saying that we won't reach that ultimate salvation, that, that uh, uh, final dimension of salvation, unless... We continue in faith. 
We are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation. We're kept by God, but He keeps us by preserving us in the exercise, in the act of faith, of believing. Well, what is this faith which is necessary to salvation? and which we must continue in and persevere in if we are to be saved. Well, we can say that biblically, there are three things that are involved in faith. The first thing, and the most foundational thing about faith, is uh, knowledge of the truths of the Word of God. To believe means that when God gives us a testimony in His Word, we receive it as true. We accept the divine authority of the revelation that has been given in Scripture. And there can be no faith without this belief of certain propositions of truth that are laid out, that are given to us in the Word of God. Faith at the very beginning, in the, in the most basic aspect of it, and an utterly indispensable aspect of faith is to believe that the Bible is the Word of God, that the Bible is a revelation from God, and that all His propositions are reliable and trustworthy because they, have, they, they come not ultimately from human writers. God has used human instruments, but they are inspired by His Spirit, and the words are, as Paul tells us, breathed out of the mouth of God which is what is meant in 2 Timothy 3, which is the literal translation of 2 Timothy 3. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. Scripture is God's mouthpiece. It's identical with his words. Now, that's basic to faith. second aspect of, this, of, of faith is to see the pertinence and the relevance of those truths to ourselves so that they register in our conscience and in our mind and we see that the things that are given to us in the word of God are a true and faithful description of our sinfulness of our need of Christ of the, the grace and power of the Holy Spirit and, and, and uh, of our uh, obligation and duty towards God. And so we, we look at what Scripture presents to us about the person and work of Christ and we say, this is the very Savior that dovetails with my need as a sinner and all my guiltiness under the wrath of God and deserving the, the punishment of God. This is the Savior who, who can address that great need. And in all the uncleanness and impurity of my heart, and all my, all, all my worldliness of spirit and mind, in all my bondage to sin, this is the mighty Savior who rose from the dead, who is, who is the one that I need to address my dire and desperate situation as a sinner. To see the pertinence and the relevance of these truths, and then to be drawn to that Savior, 
because then that is the third thing that is in faith. First of all, there's the knowledge of the truth and the belief of the Word of God. There's also this assent, this recognition of the relevance and pertinence of God's of God's word to our uh, situation and our need. And then thirdly, trust. To rely upon God. To trust in the Savior. To look to the Lord Jesus as the one who is presented to us in the Gospel. Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And to rest in Him alone for salvation. We cannot have a real confidence in anyone. We can't really rely upon someone, especially for something of such great significance as salvation, unless we know something about them. And unless we believe the testimony that has been given to us about that person. And faith culminates in this, in the the, the sinner coming with all the burden and need of his, of his life and casting himself upon the care and upon the provision of the Lord Jesus. Upon the love of the Lord Jesus. Upon the forgiveness that comes from the Lord Jesus. And so the, 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 the sinner in, in coming to Christ is engaged one person with another in this, this most intimate of, of relationships. Even our spouse cannot enter into, into who we are in the depth of our heart. There is a, a depth of knowledge and of union and of fellowship in the depth of our being that even our spouse cannot share with us. But our Savior, who is the eternal Son of God, this infinite person, He can enter into this communion with us. And it is this engagement of one person to another. Faith begins with this belief of certain propositions that we can intellectually comprehend and grasp with our minds. And then we are drawn on to, to delight in these truths. To love light. To have, to have a relish for the light. To cherish the light. To find, to find the, the, uh, the, the things that are laid out to us in Scripture about who God is and what He's like. To be utterly, utterly uh, delightful and pleasant to our souls. And then to be drawn on to rest with a loving confidence and trust in the Savior, coming with all our neediness and beggarliness, acknowledging that we are beyond our wit's end, that our minds cannot save us, our wills cannot save us, that, that Christ Himself must be all our wisdom. He must be our understanding and our light. He must bring the truth to us. And he must bring to us the forgiveness of sins and the cleansing of our hearts. And so we rest in all our beggarliness in the care and provision of our Savior. So the testimony of the scripture is, Behold the Lamb of God 
which taketh away the sin of the world. And the believer rejoices in that testimony. Jesus says, My sheep hear my voice. They will not hear the voice of a stranger. Jesus says, All that came before me were thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. Sheep have ears only for the voice of the shepherd, and they surrender themselves into the care of the shepherd being drawn to him. Well, that's what faith is, and the Christian receiving the new birth is given the gift of faith and perseveres in faith and all that fullness and all that manifestation and then in, uh, in, in, in all that experience. But see here also in uh, verse 5 that the true Christian will be preserved by God who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. The Christian's on the journey. The Christian is assailed with fears and and with with distress, uh, with anxiety, with fretfulness, with with fears perhaps that the Lord will not care for him or provide for him, with fears that he will not be found faithful, with fears that because of his own weakness he will stumble and fall, and what will become of him? And so. The word of God assures us that that which will preserve the Christian unto the end of this journey and to the reception of salvation is the omnipotence of God. The same power that created the world. When there was nothing, when there wasn't even a space to contain the nothing, when God was alone and there was no creation, then God willed the creation into being by his power. He brought it forth. And then he spoke and he said, let there be light. And there was light. This is the word of God's power. Or as scripture says, the power that was at work in the resurrection of Christ. Imagine the power of God, the omnipotence of God, the creative power of God that took the, 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 the lifeless body of the Lord Jesus and raised it up out of its burial, raised it up out of the state of death, brought it up and, and gave him this, this new body in the power of the Holy Spirit. Imagine the power that takes a dead man and raises him to life. That's the power that's at work in our new birth. That's the power that's at work in preserving us and keeping us. And that is where we go when, when we fear what will become of us. Will I be able to withstand this sin and this temptation that's overcoming me? What about bad influences upon me and the world? How will I withstand those? Well, it's not by our own wit. The wisdom of this world is foolishness. The strength of, of man is, is weakness. 
all flesh is grass. And all the glory of man is like the flower of grass. It withers and it fadeth. But it's the word of God and his creative powers. He says, let there be light. And he says, preserve this, my child. Hold him strong. Provide him with that delight in spiritual things. Give him that love of the truth. Give him that spiritual discernment. Preserve his soul against the enticements of the world. Preserve his soul from being ensnared by the devil. Who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation. And finally and briefly, the true Christian's faith is going to be tested. He says, it's necessary, verse 6, for a time, for a season, that you go through periods of heaviness with many different temptations so that the testing of your faith, though your faith is that through the testing of your faith, through, through testing, your faith will mature and will come forth as gold. You know how gold is mined. <coughs> you, you have a rock, and much that's in that rock is not gold. It's all kinds of other minerals. Things that you don't want. Things that are not valuable. Things that detract from the beauty and the glory of the gold. So you take the rock and you put it in a furnace. And the fire burns it. And the whole thing burns in the fire. And all the worthless things are burned away. And the gold is left by itself. And it's pure gold. Beautiful, shining, bright, valuable gold. And that's what happens with a Christian. God deliberately puts his people, puts his churches through all kinds of afflictions and difficulties. And his people are there in the furnace. And they're all burning. And they're saying, what's happening to me? They're saying, it hurts to be burned. It's so distressing. It's so difficult to go through all this pressure and stress. Now for a season, the Word of God says, if need be, you're in heaviness through manifold temptations for the testing of your faith, which is much more precious than gold that perishes, so that your faith will be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. You say, why is my faith being ripened and matured? Well, of course, it's a part of our being saved, and it's a part of our enduring and developing and and our faith expanding and, and taking on new challenges and, and, uh, and uh, growing in its, in its uh, trust in the Savior, its dependence upon God, and in our being loosed more and more from attachment to the world. All of that's true. It does us a world of good. But Peter draws attention to a greater purpose in the testing of our faith. And when we're weary sometimes in affliction, or we feel the burning and we feel the, the, the heaviness of it all. 
then this is what the Christian, the true Christian, will find ultimate delight in. That at the appearing of Jesus Christ, the faith of the Christian will bring praise and honor and glory to his Savior. And that ultimately is what is at the heart of a Christian's faith and piety. This is his love for the Savior. His absorbing delight in the Savior. His trust in the Savior. His resting in the Savior's shepherding care. So that your faith might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. Think of that wonderful day. That day of such stupendous revelation when Christ returns on the clouds of heaven in power and great glory and all the nations shall see his glory and the glory of God will be will illuminate as never before all of the creation and everybody will be confronted in the most the most uh, thorough manner with the glory of God and the faith of God's people will be for the praise and honor and glory of the Savior who then appears.